Welcome back to Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. It's a little late getting out um, since I was away on vacation, but I'm getting it out now. But hey, if you're listening to it not in real time, it doesn't really matter. So it's been out and you're listening to it when you listen to it. Anyways, today's sermon comes from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 31. And in this passage, Jesus tells a parable that warns against greed. Uh, this parable is traditionally in our English language been called the parable of the rich fool. And I have to say that, like, it can be a pretty uncomfortable uh, passage for some of us or many of us. Uh, so for me personally, when I think about it, um, in terms of wealth, that I'm actually much, like, I have more wealth than most people in the world. The statistic, sorry, the statistic I've heard is that even, like, the bottom 99% of Americans um, still are within like the top 1% of wealth of just people in the world. So even the poorest Americans are richer than 99% of the world. Um, That's just a statistic I've read about or heard. Um, Yeah. So, but then at the same time, when I put myself into the context I live in, nowhere near the top, of my wealth status. Um, Yeah, so that also is a factor to consider is context, because if we don't contextualize anything, then it's like we're all just greedy, you would think. Um, But like within our own context, um, that's not so much the case. So then the question becomes like, how might this warning what might Jesus' words be saying to me, or what might he be warning us all of us of um, when we contextualize things? um, And then maybe we can, from there, go out to the bigger picture. And in fact, the question I would think about is, uh, what might this warning mean at a societal level, not just a personal level? Um, Because that can really matter. Like, the actions we do affect the society we live in, And so getting to the sermon, I think Ben does a really good job kind of highlighting some of the modern day examples of how um, really the this this parable is playing out almost. Um, In fact, I think we're living in a society today that has a picture of what um, kind of world we create as a result of greed. Um, And even if it's not just like blatant greed but just this way we've been shaped to care about, like, um, wealth. So, yeah, it's really interesting. So hopefully you can gain some new insights into this, and I know I have myself. But anyways, let's get you to it and enjoy. at Luke 12, 13 through 21. A really interesting interaction between Jesus and a stranger in the crowd. We're not told what his name is, but he has a very interesting question for Jesus. Listen to this passage in in Luke 12, 13 through 21 in this exchange uh, between Jesus and a stranger. Someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, man, 
Who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, watch out. He's now saying this. This is just a little pause here. Imagine you ask Jesus a question in front of an entire crowd. And then he says to the entire crowd, watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. So we're supposed to think here, okay, he, he sees something in this man that isn't right, and he's going to call it out here in what, what comes to pass next. Then Jesus said, watch out, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them a parable. And imagine how the guy is feeling at this point. <laughs> A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all of my grain and goods. Pause again. I have nowhere to store my grain. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. He had plenty of space for his grain. Okay, just wanted you to notice that. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. He really likes to talk to himself. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, gets a little angry, fool, tonight you will die. Ouch. Now who will get the things that you have prepared for yourself? Jesus ends this interaction by saying, this is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich towards God. This is one of those passages you say, the word of the Lord? Thanks be to God? <laughs> Fighting over inheritance is not new, right? It's a part of every society. It stresses certain people out. One of the biggest questions I wasn't prepared for, there was no class in seminary that prepared me for this, but when someone passes away, one of the biggest questions I get as a pastor is to be this kind of referee with the will. I've even had people on their deathbed pull me close and say, don't let my grandson get my truck. I don't trust him. And I politely and gently come back and say, I'm not your lawyer. I'm your pastor. <laughs> I, don't pull me in the middle of this, right? Make sure that you have those things in place in your will so that there's to try to suppress as much division as possible. One of the things seminary did prepare me for is to let people who have been part of the church for a long time to say, it, there's, it's, there's never a, a moment that's too soon to have your will in line. Because those of us who travel with people after you have passed, a will that is just precisely said, even what songs you want in your funeral, as precise as you can make it, it just helps people and sets them free to grieve rather than focus on the inheritance and all those things, right? And, and really, at my job as a pastor is to help people focus on their grief when people pass away, to really let that moment be a moment to grieve the loss and to hope in the resurrection. That's my job through funerals, is to help people understand that. But what can... One of the many things that can, we can distract ourselves in grieving 
is this argument over inheritance. I've seen that be a major distraction for people. Fighting over inheritance can be such a point of division for families where they may not even talk again after that person passes away. In this passage of Luke today, we see a similar situation. A man comes to Jesus asking him to intervene with his brother to give him his inheritance. Now, you have to understand in the first century Palestine, it was a common practice for Jews to ask their rabbis for a legal ruling. The man thought of Jesus as a respected rabbi who influenced people and could convince his brother to give him his share of the inheritance. But Jesus also refused to take the role of divider. Jesus says, I'm your rabbi, not your lawyer, right? He begins to talk about greed and supports his teachings with the parable of the rich fool. And we have to ask ourselves at this point in the passage, what's wrong with the man's request? Was it wrong for him to ask for his inheritance? Why did Jesus start talking about greed immediately? And how on earth does the parable apply to the man's request? Well, if those were the questions you entered sanctuary this morning, have I got some answers for you? No, I'm just kidding. We're just going to keep thinking together over this. As far as we can tell, the man seems to be the younger brother. And as the older brother, it's always the younger brothers who get into trouble, right? Any older siblings know that, right? Okay, it's always the younger sibling. Well, according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, the firstborn son receives a double portion of the father's main estate. So the eldest brother is also responsible for either divvying out the inheritance or keeping the estate together. Therefore, it's the younger brother's responsibility to ask for their inheritance. There's a famous parable that we see this on display, the prodigal son, right? Who comes to the father to ask for his inheritance is the younger brother. And the older brother, though, we should know, will receive a double portion of the father's estate. So the elder brother wants to keep the land intact, while the younger brother wants his share now. And I know those of us who are parents, when you're younger, your youngest comes to you and says, I want my inheritance now, what, it's kind of insulting, isn't it? What are they really saying? You're not passing away fast enough, right? It's, that's, a, that's the insult that we're hearing in the parable. I really wish that you weren't here so I could have my inheritance now. That adds to even more compassion that the father showed the youngest son in that request. So to achieve a settlement, the younger brother asks Jesus to play the role of arbitrator, expert, reconciler in order to settle this family dispute. But Jesus refuses. Again, why? Why does Jesus refuse? Well, Jesus refuses to act as the arbiter or divider of inheritance because Jesus seems to know the man's inner thoughts and evil intentions. Jesus doesn't just jump into preaching on greed for no reason, right? This is why he says to the whole entire crowd, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus indicates that the young man's claim on the inheritance is not just. 
Why is it not just? Because there are laws in place to take care of this inheritance request already. Numbers 27, Numbers 36, Deuteronomy 21, and so many others would have taken care of the inheritance problem through the proper channels. So what's being really asked of Jesus? Supersede the law on my behalf so that I can take what I think is mine. He's coveting his brother's property. He knows, Jesus knows that he's a wealthy farmer or probably a wealthy landowner, which is why he tells the parable that he does. The younger brother wants to obtain more wealth and more advanced status within his community at the expense of his brother. Jesus then tells the parable of the rich fool to teach against that kind of greed. He emphasizes that a sacred, a secured life does not depend on possessions, but rather on entrusting one's whole life to God. The scenario that Jesus depicts is a vast, wealthy landowner who had an abundant harvest and decided to dare tear down his current storage facility to make room for larger ones. This is like the Elon Musk or the Jeff Bezos of the first century, right? Look at all the things that I have. I need to tear down the big things I have and build bigger things, right? The world is entering a pandemic and starvation is a huge thing in poverty. Let's go to space. That's kind of the equivalent of what's happening here, right? So by the rich man is a shrewd businessman, but his shrewdness is very evil. By building colossal storage units, the rich fool decides to hoard his harvest and not contribute to the marketplace around him with his surplus. His intentions affect the food supply and create a great scarcity of grain, ultimately driving the prices up. This farmer is only interested in his own well-being, as we can hear from the parable, ignoring the needs of the poor peasants who even work for him who will be affected by his decision. Jesus describes a self-centered farmer who makes an unethical profit and harms the economy and others. By hoarding his grain, the rich ruler secures his economic power and position and status at the expense and exploitation of others. The rich fool wants to control the market at the expense of his neighbors. My friends, this is not a new scenario either, right? We experience this on a regular basis. Did you know that our country has the greatest wage gap between chief executives and workers in the entire world? The U.S. companies with the lowest paid staff grew even wider this year with CEOs making an average of $10.6 million a year and the median worker received 23000 a year. A study of 300 top U.S. companies released by the Institute of Policy Studies on average found that the gap between CEO and a medium worker pay jumped from 600 to 70 to 1, meaning an average CEO makes $670 in a corporation for every $1 a worker received. The ratio was up from 604 in 2021, 604 to 1. 
at more than a third of these companies, the IPS found that the median worker was not paid to keep up even with the pace of inflation. My friends, we have to wonder why people are so stressed and anxious right now when you can't even keep up with inflation with your pay scale. While a handful of other countries in the world might seem to have a larger pay gap than the United States, none of the ones surveyed have an actual pay gap anywhere near as large. In Switzerland, the country with the second largest pay gap, the chief executives make 148 times their average worker. In the United States, the average CEO makes 350 times more than the average worker. We need to look no further than a few of America's largest corporations for evidence of this in our country's exceptionally large pay gap. I worked at Starbucks, Cold Stone Creamery, Dairy Queen, Olive Garden, Smoky Mountain Pizza. I worked in food service all throughout my theological education. And if there's any job that helps to prepare you for complaints and things that go wrong, like you are dehumanized over not giving enough ranch dressing. If you want to be treated like you are nothing, go work fast food for a little while because you will be treated as less important than that stuff in a bag that's going to give you a heart attack. It's, it really is. Like it's, it's one, of the, one of the hardest jobs I think I've ever had. I was, a, I was a supervisor at Starbucks, and we have to look no further than America's largest corporations like McDonald's and Starbucks. And this just got to me, reading this analysis from the Washington Post. The typical worker at both these companies, more, it takes the average worker more than six months to earn what each of these companies' CEOs make in a single hour. In a single hour. The average worker, it takes them six months to even make what they make in a single hour. You see, the wealthy farmer is a fool because he assumes that his security depends on the accumulation of possessions and wealth, not God, the source of all gifts and security. This kind of greed not only devours our land and resources, but it exploits our fellow human beings in the name of the bottom line. This is why the old saying is true. If you want to know the source of injustice in the world, just follow the money. Just follow the money. God summons the wealthy farmer's soul when the rich farmer invites his soul to be merry and enjoy his wealth. And then in a single moment, God intervenes. And I have to tell you, if you want to get God really angry at any point in the Bible, you start oppressing the poor and the powerless. And God gets really upset really fast. And Jesus shows that here. And he's like, well, nope, that's not going to, you can't take time to be merry. Your soul is going to be required of you tonight because you are exploiting the poor and the powerless. Who then is going to get your resources? Who then is going to get your wealth? God's saying, I will make sure that it's distributed myself because you are not being a steward of your resources. God's question means that he cannot take his hoarded grain to heaven. Everybody heard the joke where somebody filled their pockets with gold saying, I'm going to make it to heaven. Anybody heard that joke? 
oh, I'll tell it. It's, it's a good pastor joke. So this guy, he wants to take all of his gold to heaven with him. He saved up and put it all, all of his life savings into gold bars. And the pastor was like, what, what are you going to do with that? He's like, I'm lining my, my, my pockets with it. I'm sewing it into my pants so that when I get to heaven, I will have my gold. I'm going to make it there, right? Well, he does. He makes it to heaven, and he has all of his gold sewn into his pants. And he was just so excited. He told St. Peter about it, and St. Peter's just like kind of looking at him a little weird. And he's like, this new guy has asphalt sewn all throughout his pants. Because <laughs> the streets are paved. With, that's how worthless gold is in heaven. We make streets out of it. We make our sewer pipes out of gold here in heaven. That's how the upside down kingdom, right? I botched the joke because not all of you laughed really loud. But <laughs> When you retell it, do me a favor and tell it better, okay? But Jesus further instructs his disciples about greed, trusting God to provide for their needs and not worry about life like the rich fool does to such an extent that we exploit other people so that we can feel happy and content. My friends, greed is the moral antithesis of generosity. It makes us worry about everything instead of trusting in God for everything. God who holds the future in their hands. Greed destroys us, it destroys other people, but generosity blesses us. This passage invites us to reflect on what we do with our possessions. Do our possessions give us security for the future or do they take us away from understanding the needs of others? My friends, I cannot emphasize the point at which we are with this inflation that we're experiencing even Rebecca and I are in, are in a good position to take care of our son. But do you know that for only two days a week for someone to watch, minimum child care is $1,400 a month. $1,400 a month for a nanny. And that's just minimum. We are looking for Foster to be put in daycare later on. And a school just in our local community, it's $3,000 a month for just him. And I'm experiencing that, hearing that from every young family right now. Childcare is exorbitantly expensive. That's a mortgage. That's a mortgage. And speaking of mortgage, <laughs> have you looked at the pricing of housing lately, right? It is ridiculous. People in this sanctuary are struggling to find housing. And so we are experiencing this, this wage gap is having an impact on how we order our, our society financially. It's having an impact on so many people, not just the exorbitantly poor, but the middle class as well. And, and so, yes, this parable needs to call us individuals. How are we going to invest our resources, our time, our energy? But I think this is a deep question for the church, the community of God. Do you know that one of the greatest assets the church has right now in America? If you had to guess, guess what it is? The greatest asset the church has, of, of course, the gospel is the greatest asset, but like physical asset, right? Land. Land. Do you know, Annie got it right. She gets extra brownies after service. <laughs> Land is the greatest asset. We at Amity Campus have seven acres, and it's used twice a week. 
So this, these action steps I, I want us to take from this sermon is how are we leveraging our greatest asset to help the community? That's the basic question of this, of this passage. So friends, if you know of any groups who need to use a space, somebody's trying to start a small business and they need a, a conference room or a group that uh, we used to have a, a Zumba class and some other classes, other churches met here in our sanctuary, that is the stuff I want you to go tell other people, right? That we have space that they can use throughout the week. But I also want to think bigger than that too, we have a desperate housing crisis. I'm talking with Leap Charities about the possibility of using some of our land to build low-income housing like Collister United Methodist is doing. How can we help those who are in the midst of that housing crisis? How can we think through the use of our garden, our, our, our space, so that we can be a gift to the community? So this isn't just an individual challenge. It's how can we as the church pray together? And I love the picture of open hands versus closed hands, right? And that means for our service too. How are we thinking of Sunday morning with open hands? Lord, I want Sunday morning to be a gift to people who are trying to find a church and who have been hurt by it. I want people to encounter Jesus on Sunday morning no matter what. <laughs> That's my deepest prayer every Sunday, friends, is that people who have been so hurt <laughs> by religion can come here and find healing and peace. So how are we coming into our Sunday morning gathering, looking at our land, looking at our assets with open hands and saying, God, how do we use this for the community? I don't want to just be asking those questions alone as a pastor. I want to be in communication because guess what? You're here with greater networks than I have. I don't have the friends you have. <laughs> I don't have the communities that you have that you go throughout the rest of the week. So communicate that to others. Maybe we can be a gift and use our resources for them in ways that we didn't expect. But my friends, it starts by how we began the sermon. We have to end it there. We have lost a lot throughout the pandemic as a church. We have to allow ourselves to grieve those things. Church does not look the way it did before. We have to grieve those things together so that we don't get distracted on our greed of what it should be anymore, right? So let us grieve first the things that we've lost. Acknowledge those things and hope that they be reclaimed in the future. My friends, I want to move when we get to 150 people uh, consistently here. I want to move to two services. I want to be able to offer contemporary and traditional. We're talking with music folks, but we need youth and children covered if we hope that Amity survives. And we all want Amity to survive. Amen? So that is our number one prayer right now. That is our number one giving, that we look for children and youth. And I'm kind of going off script right now. We'll get to communion, I promise. Let me just tell you one more thing that's exciting. The denomination gives us an opportunity called CYMT. And it's where we can invite someone who they will pay for their masters of divinity if they intern at a local church. And they pay them. So the local church doesn't take the financial burden. I just finished that application this last week. Pastor Stacy downtown, the, the pastor of Family Life, she went through CYMT and just raves about it. 75% of the applicants stay at their church for over five years after the program is done. 
My friends, that's a consistent person who gives their time and energy to the church. And we applied for a dual position where one person would come in and spearhead our children and youth program here. So will you join me in prayer for that, that we would be accepted (laughs) and that that person would come in and we would be able to take the next steps to becoming the church that God has called us to be. I am excited about the future of Amity. I am filled with hope every single time I think about it. (laughs) And I want you to join me in that hope as well. You are God's greatest investment. Do you believe that? May we use that investment to help and bring compassion to the world. Let me pray. I'm going to invite Annie forward to read our confession as we prepare for communion. Lord God, I ask that as we hear these words from Jesus, that we too would understand that we are God's greatest treasure and that we too would focus on what you have given us to bring that compassion to the world around us. In Christ's holy name, we pray. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to, we'd very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it. Also, if you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at amity.campus at boisefumc.org. That email will be in the show notes. Finally, as a smaller congregation, our budget is pretty tight. If you'd like to help out and donate to us, there is a link to do so in the show notes. Of course, no pressure, only if you're feeling called to give. But more income does mean possibly more content and better quality of content, as well as supporting our current ministries and those we'd like to expand on. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.